Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat sermon by Rabbi Rebecca Schatz. We're going to do a little bit of learning on just the first two lines of Breshid. As I mentioned during the Torah reading, I, I went through the Parsha and I thought, man, I, I don't even know what to talk about because there's just so much I want to talk about. Um, and I was lucky that I got to teach on Breshid a few times this week, so I did get to talk about quite a few things. But I, I am struck with just even the second line of the Parsha, the first line too, but the second line where we read about Tohu Vavohu. Tohu Vavohu, if you go to Jewish day school or religious school, or really if, you, if you've learned the chapter enough of the first book of Genesis, so sorry, first chapter of Genesis, first book of the Torah, you hear the word Tohu Vavohu, and you assume that it means chaos. You just assume that based on context, that, you know, it must have meant that we don't, there was stuff happening that we, we couldn't sort out. So it was like a mosh pit of things. It was chaos. It was all smushed together. There was no way for us to say this was this and this was that. It was just tohu vavohu. I was talking about this with a friend who said that when her grandmother used to come into her room as a child, that she used to call her bedroom, you know, what is all this tohu vavohu? Right? I think that we use the phrase in in a very chaotic, messy, uh, un, nondescript way of defining what was going on on the face of the earth at the time. Breshit bara Elohim et hashamayim ve'etaaris. In Reshit, in the beginning, created God, the, the shamayim, the heavens, and the land. Okay, now we could spend approximately six hours talking about just that line. What does that mean? What's Reshit? What does it mean created? Was there really nothing? But look at the next line. There was creation, right? Bara, something was created from Reshit, from the beginning. And then, Vehaaretz haita tohu vavohu. And the creation that was, was tohu vavohu. Vechoshech al pnei tahom, veruach Elohim merachefet al pnei hamayim. And there was darkness on the face of this uh, deep, this this void. And the spirit of God was sweeping over the water. If you've ever been to the ocean or to a lake and you get there just as morning is coming, you'll see this kind of haze over the water, right? Something that is sweeping over the water. Usually it's like, you know, cloud-ish particles, right? Something that is, that is going to lift based on the heat from the atmosphere and the, and the chill from the water. But that's what I imagine is happening <clears throat> here with this Ruach Elohim. It's kind of hovering over the face of the water. That's not what we're going to focus on, but I want to illustrate that for you. So if the land was Tohu Vavohu, 
We really don't know what that means. Any Bible you might open, Larry and Diane undoubtedly have approximately six in front of them, so they can tell us what all of the different commentators say Tohu Vavohu is. But it's going to be translated into words that Tohu and Vohu don't actually mean, right? Tohu and Vohu are just two words that, again, come together to explain this this experience, not necessarily... uh items or particular particular things that that the that the text is trying to tell us is seen now in in on safaria tohu is unformed and vohu is void which is really interesting based on the other commentaries that we're going to see here because they kind of mean the same thing right if something is unformed it's a blank slate it's a piece of Play-Doh that hasn't yet been played with, right? It's just, it just is. And yet a void is something that doesn't have anything in it. So you're kind of describing, they're not synonyms for one another, but you're kind of describing the same thing, a blank canvas, something that doesn't have anything on it. But wait a second, didn't the Torah just tell us that there, there was something created. There was at least heaven and earth. So, so what is this tohu vavohu in between here? <clears throat> so that's what I want to talk about. But I want this to be interactive. So I want, before I go into some of these commentaries, and those of you who have the text sheet from the bulletin in front of you, um, you'll see that there are quite a few commentaries. I'm not going to go through each one of them, but I wanted you to have all of them. But I first want to know, what are your kushiot? What are your good questions about this verse? And for some reason today, your faces are much smaller than normal. So raise your hand. And if I can see who you are, I will call on you. And if not, Anthony will just unmute you and you'll start talking. But raise your hand. Does anybody have any questions about this verse specifically, the second verse of Torah? Larry. I don't have, well, I have lots of questions, but I also have, I think, answers or alternative ways of looking at it. I'll be very brief. Yeah. The simplest way, not to say that this was the intent, but to and vohu, which were invented words, so they mean nothing because they both mean at the same time emptiness, waste, nothingness, but chaos and at the same time you emptiness and chaos are the opposite of each other. Yeah. They were time and space, Einstein's idea of the Big Bang and creation as one possible explanation. They didn't exist, and then for an instant of the singularity, they exist. And when they exist, then they begin to form the rest of the story that we're told in Bereshit. Great. Great. Yeah, there, there, is something, there is something dissonant, even in the commentaries that we're going to see here, that... On the one hand, the way that we colloquially describe tohu vavohu is actually the opposite of what it might have meant. If it was void, then chaos did not ensue because there was nothing there to be chaotic. But what, what Larry's pointing out is that, that if, if we think of it as time and space, that actually gives us room for the creativity, for the creation that either was before or can come after. Other thoughts, questions? Yeah, Marshall. You know, if you know the song Bim Bam. Yes. Uh, we like the song because Bim Bam, Bim Bam. Mm-hmm. So we have here Tohu Vavohu. They sort of like, mm. they, they sort of mirror each other. Yeah. Whereas Alter is translating it, Welter and Waste, or as Richard Friedman translated it, 
chaos schmeos. <laughs> That's great. That's fantastic. I knew that between you and Larry, we would have multiple, multiple renditions of what this word was. Great. Um, yeah, I, I think that you're, I never thought of them as words that just sound great, right? That we enjoy that they sound alike and that they can, um, be made to, whether it was for memory's sake or so that we understood that they kind of came together in whatever the, like when you say mishmash, right? Like that kind of, a, of a phrase. But I, it, it is something that seems to be, a, I, I don't want to say slang, but, but a, um, I'm going to use the word slang, a slang for what could have been happening, right? Like a, a colloquialism of the time as to what could have been on the face of the earth. And that it's possible that based on those two translations that you gave us, obviously neither, neither of those two men were there, but the idea that there might have been something going on that's just undefinable by an actual word and more so by some kind of phrase that will get you to almost feel what was going on. And so tohu vavohu seems to be that's a similar kind of Hebrew phrase. I really love what Richard Friedman said. That's very, that's great. Other hands, thoughts. Yeah, Barbara. Oh, you're muted. Wait, there you are. In the humash, in the notes below, it says that the words, the two words mean uh, desert waste. Yes. I don't know how that fits in with it at all. Great. Well, you'll see in a second how it fits in. It's a, it's a, that's a great, um, that's another great translation there. And we're going to see, I mean, this is, we could have just had everybody bring whatever, you know, version of Genesis they have in their home. And we could have spent all of our time just hearing the different translations because it just shows that we don't actually know what it meant at all, right? All of these scholars, all of these rabbis, all of these, Torah interpreters are trying to come up with what it could mean because we actually have no idea what it meant. And so we're trying to play into it as to what we think could have been happening, which is exactly what all of these other rabbis who I brought you are going to do as well. So Rashi on this, on this phrase says the word tohu signifies astonishment and amazement. For a person would have been astonished and amazed at its emptiness. So he's defining tohu and vohu as a way for people to react to what was being seen, not the actual sight, which is interesting. It's a different way, especially when we now say that tohu vavohu means chaos. That's describing what it was, not necessarily the way that I would feel in seeing it. My chaos might not be someone else's chaos. So the fact that astonishment and amazement are the way that he is defining this is really, he's, he is trying to feed into how a person or a being might have felt in seeing the emptiness of the world. I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep going, but if anybody has any comments as we're going through these commentators, just raise your hand and I'll, I'll try to be able to see you. Um, okay. So Sforno, Sforno has a little bit of a different take on, on this. Now, I just want you to know that whenever, if you're looking at the source sheet, this will be clear to you. Um, any time that the word tohu vavohu was translated, 
I either put tohu next to its translation or I just gave you the Hebrew words because I don't want us to be just thinking about it in terms of the English words that are given to it, but I do want us to almost feel the Hebrew as its own untranslatable, undefinable term and hear what the rabbis have to say about the term itself. This very center, which was created at the time, was composed of a mixture of raw materials known as tohu, and its original external appearance, appearance is what is described as vohu. The reason is that the whole expanse of tohu was comprised of a uniform appearance. This explained that the first raw material was something entirely new. It is described as tohu to indicate that at that point it was merely something which had potential, the potential not yet having materialized, being been converted to something actual. The appearance of this primordial raw material is described as vohu, meaning that as such it came to exist in actual fact in real terms. This describes any phenomenon that does not retain its appearance for any length of time. It constantly changes like a chameleon. Anybody have any initial thoughts about this before I share my own? Okay, I'll share mine and then feel free to comment. This reminds me of model magic. Does anybody know what model magic is? It's a type of clay that you can buy that when you play with it, it's just a lump of clay. And then you can form it. And at that point, you, probably a child, decides... Whether or not, Michael Becker's nodding no. Michael Becker plays with Model Magic. Whether or not you are going to put it in the oven and make it permanent into whatever shape that you created it into, or if you're going to keep it soft so you can continue to mold it. And that's what this reminds me of. I don't believe this Forno knew what Model Magic was, but, th- but this reminds me of a type of material that when you, when you first come across it, it's, you can do anything with it. You can turn it into a, the shape that you want. You can turn it into the art that you want. You can do anything with it. And then you have to decide, are you going to keep it that way? Or are you going to paint over it, mold it into something different? Uh, composers do this all the time. When they write music, they decide, no, I'm going to put that phrase over here. I'm going to put that phrase over there, right? In its first stage, it's one piece, but then it turns into something else and uses different cadences and different types of strokes of paint. The last line that it says that it does not retain its appearance for any length of time is a really powerful way of thinking of the world, that if what we're trying to describe here is a world that is constantly changing, a world that was at one time tohu vavohu, but what that allows for is for us to constantly be changing the face of the earth or even the earth's contents is really remarkable. A chameleon is a type of animal that when it's put in front of something, it can change to be like that. But what I think that it's actually saying about the world is that those of us who are on it get to decide what we're going to do to make that world change, right? Specifically things like, um, uh, like littering, right? Like what, what does it do when we put plastic into our ocean or global warming or anything like that, right? What, what are we, the people who live on this planet, doing to affect the way that the planet is able to change 
or or not and the way that it it keeps its shape i thought i saw a hand yeah hannah i think it reminds me of evolution that we're all that's the first word that came into my mind that yeah and then in the course of the next sentence it's controlled (laughs) right right Great. I'm glad that you brought that in, that, that it is interesting that probably the reason that most of us define tohu vavohu as chaos is exactly the point that Hannah just made, which is the next line says, okay, let's get control over this. So it is interesting to think about it as evolution. I had not thought about that, but it's true that over time we have changed and our world has changed to adapt to that world that we are in whether it's based on climate or the things that we are eating or the places that we are living, we've learned how to adapt. We've learned how to change. So maybe the tohu vavohu was just the first moment of, if you're thinking of a blank canvas, that first moment of paint, not, not the moment where the painting gets changed into something completely different. Yeah, Larry. And I just suggest, don't think about your model magic or canvas don't think about we've changed, but we're changing. And this is telling us we're ever changing. We're never getting there, wherever there is. And like music, if you think about the music and not the score written down, even when you've created the music, the music can change in the future. And in fact, we, we may think we're getting there to making things better and the world is improving But if we don't continue to try to make it better, it will continue to change maybe for the worse. Yeah. Yeah, I, I really appreciate that. And, and I agree that the, that the motion of changing is much more important than the fact that something can change. When you, when you mentioned the music example, I realized that when I gave the music example, your point is actually much more important that the music can be written down, but the musician decides what to play and how to play it. And that is exactly what, what is happening here that we had God as an artist create something that now it is going to be ever changing. And we need to figure out what to do with that change so that we pointed in the direction of how we, the, consumers almost of this creation are to are to deal with it or to help the change along or to are to handle the change that comes to us yeah marshall uh, i just go back into the beginning god creates the heaven and the earth yeah that's a sense of order yes then suddenly we have haaretz artahu then we have a sense of disorder. What, we, what appears to us is disorder. Yeah. And then God steps back in and, and says again, Yeah. And the question is, I don't know what Ruach Elohim means, either the breath of God or a wind from God right. hovering over the face of the water. Yeah. So God says, in fact, I created, to you it may look like it's uh, totally chaotic, chaos shmeas, but I'm still <laughs> present and my spirit is going to be animating what's going to be happening in the future. Beautiful. That's beautiful. Other, other thoughts, comments? Is that Jeff? Okay, Jeff. <laughs> Are you unmuted? No, I'm unmuted. There you go. So I want to go back for a moment to the, the comment in the Chumash about the desert. 
yeah. the wasteland. And if you think about a desert with no plants, no mountains, just plain sort of flat desert. Yeah. And if you put the sun at noon, then you really have no reference to where to go or how to go. Mm. It's all the same. Yeah. And it's sort of like um, what Alan Watts wrote in one of his books when he talks about what's speed. You only have speed when you can compare it to something that's stationary or slow. Mm. So you need to have a referent. And in this case, God supplies the referent. Hmm. Wow. I'm not even sure how to comment on that. That, Yeah, that is a, it's a very, I feel like so much of what's about to happen in our Torah are, is exactly what you are referencing in, in the idea of referencing, uh, that you would need to have some kind of reference for light if there was no light, right? What, you would have to know what darkness is to have light. You would have to know what order is to know what chaos is. And so, I really want to think about what you just said before I make any any real statements on it, but I think it's a very powerful way of thinking about this entire chapter. And if we were to also, and you can do this and let me know if if you have any interest in it, if the second rendition of the Genesis, sorry, of the creation story uh, allows you to have that same comment, Right, because the second creation story is is not as referential in its way of describing the world or the the matters of creation, and I and doesn't have any kind of idea like tohu vavohu. It's possible that this first line was supposed to kind of be a catch all for both, but I wonder, Jeff, if that's if that would be present for you in both stories. Um, it's a that's a very it's. Thank you. That's a very enlightening statement that I will that I will deeply think about. Other Rick. thoughts? I just heard someone speak, but was that Jeff? Maybe. Oh, it's Rick. Yes, Rick. Uh, hi. Hi. Um, uh, I was happy when I took some comparative religion classes in college that um, other religions are, are uh, were always so violent at the beginning. Um, gods fighting each other. Uh, it wasn't a peaceful kind of thing, the creation yeah. of the world. Yeah. So uh, I like that um, the first sentence, there's no fighting, just God creates the heavens and the earth. And then instead of concentrating on the heavens and setting all that up, because that's really important. No, he starts with the Haaretz and, and, yeah. and, uh, and starts to set that up first, which parallels with the second creation story where... Um, First, you you make the garden, and then you put the guy in it to tend it and to take care of it <laughs> yeah. uh, instead of the other way around. God didn't just put us out in the desert with nothing there. We would have just died like that. So right. uh, it was um, a very thoughtful kind of thing and very peaceful uh, compared mm. to other religions. So. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, it's um, if anybody is interested that many of the stories specifically in the beginning of Genesis are found in other traditions. There's always some kind of flood story, some kind of creation story, and you can and you can choose to to uh, compare them. 
I just looked at my watch thinking, oh, it's going to be 1135-ish. It's 1145, which is when I expected to finish this teaching. So we're going to move on <laughs> um, and I'm going to skip a few verses. But as you can see, there's a lot here in this one verse. So I want us to get through a few other pieces. We're going to skip the Brashit Rabbah and we're going to move to the Zohar. Um, and I want us to, this is... I'm just going to read it. Rabbi Barachia said, it is written in Genesis 1-2, the earth was tohu and vohu, chaos and desolation. What is the meaning of the word was in this verse? This indicates that the chaos existed previously and already was. What is tohu, chaos? Something that confounds people. What is desolation, vohu? It is something that has substance. This is the reason that it is called vohu, that is vohu. It is in it. He created vohu and set its place in peace. God created tohu and set its place in evil. And from where do we know that vohu is peace as it is written in Isaiah, who makes peace and creates evil, which by the way, this is at the end of Or Chadash, we just say uvore et hakol, but it's actually uvore et hara. So just a little liturgical piece there for you. This is how we get evil from tohu and peace from vohu. God created tohu and set its place in evil as it is written above. God created vohu and set its place in peace as it says God makes peace in its heights. So I, I only included the evil peace piece because I wanted you to see that they are, that they are, um, uh, uh, not in dissonance, but they are opposite of one another. But what I'm actually very uh, interested in is this idea that chaos is something that confounds people and desolation is something that has substance, right? Going to this, the idea that, um, that Jeff brought up for us about the desert, thinking about a desert, right? If you're in desolation, thinking that that has substance is not necessarily the way that you would define the desert. I mean, sure, there, there are things in a desert, but to say that it is substantive is not necessarily the way that you would define it. So let's go to the next piece. I'll let that just ruminate with you. As I've told many students in my Midrashah class, sometimes the Zohar is just something you have to listen to and, and then move on, and that's when you'll really understand it. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to go to this piece of Brashit Rabbah, which says, Rabbi Yehuda, the son of, si- of Shimon, interpreted this reading as applying to generations, and the earth was formless and void, tohu vavohu. This is Adam the first, since he was made entirely from nothing. And void, vohu, this is Cain, who sought to return the world to formlessness and void. What are they doing here in Breshit Rabbah? They're telling you that from the beginning of Breshit, they're going to actually tell you who are the characters that are going to take on these different Qualities, these different characteristics. So Adam is tohu because he was formless. He was created from nothing. Cain is vohu because he was the first person to bring that uh, uh, pain of desolation into the world. And then if you go down to this, to this piece that I brought, um, that I put in some color on my page, it's purple. The Holy One, blessed be God, said, how long shall the universe accustom itself to deep darkness? Let the light come. And Hashem said, let there be light. 
And this light is Abraham. See, it is written, who has raised Heir up, one from the east, in righteousness. Do not read raised up Heir with an ayin, but rather illuminate Heir with an aleph. So what Breshit Rab, and this is a, a very short passage of a much longer midrash, and for those of you who have not studied Midrash before, you, the Midrash, the rabbis take different verses from different places in the Tanakh and bring it in as proof text. And so what they're doing here is saying that from this line in the beginning of Breshit, we see from Adam to Abraham how our world is going to continue forward, the ups and the downs, right? Cain was the first murderer and therefore... He wanted there to be a void again. He wanted it to go back to some kind of um, empty place. He was okay with that. So this is, the, this is my last, last piece. And I'm sorry that I didn't get to take comments on each one of these texts because I know that they're complex and I'm sure you have questions or comments and I'm sorry about the time, but I also want to honor that your Shabbat is not all about learning with me. So this last piece by the Kliyakar is, is exactly how I hope that we think about Tohu Vavohu. As you've all said, there are many different ways of translating Tohu Vavohu. When I think of Tohu Vavohu, I think of something that has yet to be defined. Whether that's a piece of music that's never been played, I love that or whether it's a desert that has yet to be traipsed through, or whether it's a patch of snow that has yet to have little feet in it. It's something that has yet to be utilized or defined or created or really put into this world as what it's going to continue to be. Because as Larry mentioned earlier, it's always changing. There's nothing that's going to, if the snow gets stepped on, there's going to be more snow that's going to go over those footsteps or sand for those of us in Los Angeles. I'm not sure why I use snow as the example. If you're walking on the sand, there's going to be new sand in the morning and you're not going to see those footsteps any longer. So I'm going to read this last piece and then I'm happy for the last two-ish minutes to take, um, to take some comments and then we'll do Aleinu and Mourner's Kaddish and Kiddush. The Kliakar says, what was, was, and what is the need of this knowledge? And it appears that we can say that since from the six days of creation and onwards, the Holy One, blessed be God, does not change anything from how it was then. And the Holy One, blessed be God, foresaw that because of the actions of the wicked, the world would go back to being chaos and void, as in the generation of the flood, and so too with the destruction of the temple. And so the verse here informs us that if at any future time it should happen, that through the actions of the wicked, the world will go back to being chaos. And I would just say through the actions of living on this earth, the world will go back to being chaos. It should not be considered a change in the creation, but rather the world will go back to how it was, since it is its nature to be chaos and void and darkness. Right now, we're living in a time that could be to- that could be defined as tohu vavohu. We don't understand it. We haven't yet defined it, and we don't know when it's going to end, and we don't know what's going to come out of it. But what the Kliakar is saying to us is, don't define this as the world. 
Don't define this moment as what it's always going to be because it's going to go back to being normal. It's going to go back to having traffic and it's going to go back to people being rude and standing and talking in your face. And it's going to go back to all those things because that's how things are. It's going to go back to that. But what we need to decide is what is going on in this time to make it a time of creation. Because as Hana pointed out for us, after Tohu Vavohu, we are told all of the different things that come out of it. Light, darkness, animals, humans. All of these things come out of the creation. So when people ask me, wow, weren't the high holidays so hard? Yeah, they were really hard. They were really different. I really hope that they never go back to that completely again. And we learned so much creativity and so much about how we need to serve our people in allowing ourselves to open up and just say we are living in a world of tohu vavohu. We're living in this changing environment that we cannot yet define. And so we need to take it and be creative with it and do something that makes blessing out of it. So I'll take a few last comments if anybody has them, but I just want to say that I, I miss terribly having people in this room and I miss terribly seeing all of you in person and hugging you and being able to have kiddish with you and all of those things. And I think that we are learning and we are being exposed to different ways that we can find connection that might be even more meaningful than we ever knew because you're choosing to be here. You're choosing to be in this moment. And this is a way for us to be able to define this tohu vavohu. So I hope you see it as a time of creation and a time as meaningful desolation that And I'm going to use Larry's words because it's a metaphor that really speaks to me. I hope that it's a time where you can see the score in front of you and that you now get to define how you're going to play it. Shabbat shalom. Are there any, are there any last comments or thoughts on this before we do a very brief? Is that Diane's hand? I think it is. Yeah, Diane. She might be under Larry Anthony. So... I'm just going to suggest, I assume this is somewhere on the internet. There was an Italian cartoonist who um, many years ago drew a cartoon, or actually it was more like, yeah, it was a cartoon. And it was God sitting up in heaven. And it was a, a bunch of different scenes. Each At the end of each scene, God looked at it, shook his head, took the paper that was earth, crumbled it up, threw it in the garbage can, yeah. and started all over again. And that's, um, in some ways, we're here starting starting something all over yeah. again in the midst of, of the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about and it, and it is a it is a powerful image. And I agree with you. It's how it's how a lot of this feels. Let's try this. Oh, that doesn't work. Let's try this again. Oh, that doesn't work. Let's figure out the new picture that we need to make so that we can put that one up on the refrigerator and not have to crumple it up. Great. Final any other final thoughts? Is that Bonnie Larry? Bonnie maybe? 
I just wanted to mention if anyone wants to deal with this in a modern scientific point of view, they can look up the word entropy. Uh-huh. It's, uh, it's a degree of disorder. And the, one of the laws of thermodynamics is that the entropy tends to increase, uh, and which means that tohu and bohu is always an ongoing threat. Wherever there is order, there's a threat of disorder that will take it apart. And, and that's been a, it's a subject of physical chemistry, the current science approach to this. Larry, I hope that every single person heard you clearer than I did. I heard you say the word and I heard you define it. I didn't hear the rest of what you said, but I hope that everyone else did because I know that you have wise words of Torah to share with us. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you for sharing. I think it's just our monitor in the sanctuary that I couldn't hear you, but I hope that everyone else heard your words and they are nodding. So I believe that they did. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.